If you've not already seen yesterday's report on that terrible Subaru Outback heavy tow test, I'll put a card up there. But in today's video, I want to cover off the most salient points raised by you in the comments of that video. I'm John Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars. Hogan! I do like that. You can't do it sitting over there at the prompter. I get them cheap. Australia only. Website. Card. Now I've got uh, Baker's Dozen Plus One of salient comments from dudes or dudettes just like you with some classics towards the rear, I must say. So let's just kick off with that, shall we, and see how this flows. John Selt says... It's just typical that anyone with a camera and a microphone can go online and present their version of the facts as a report is not subject to any scrutiny. Yeah. Long gone are the days of journalistic integrity with the advent of social media platforms. Unfortunately, the average viewer just takes for granted the accuracy of the presentation and assumes they must know what they're talking about because it's on TV or nowadays your viewing device with an S of choice. Thank you, John. I suggest that one of the challenges of living in the information age is that this is so much freaking information. So if you're a consumer of journalism, and let's face it, everyone in society is a consumer of journalism in one form or another, then the major challenge for you is critical assessment of what you're being told. That's kind of key. Like previously, there was not that much access to journalism you had uh, like three or four or five depending on when you grew up uh, television channels free to air and the news was on every night and there was you know a couple of major metro daily papers if you lived in a capital city and less choice than that if you lived in the region so you were sort of channeled into mainstream journalism in a very tight bandwidth way and nowadays you can get your news anywhere right you can just basically check Anything from completely nutty to completely mainstream, left or right, it's more of a choice. And part of that is a good thing because journalism is democratised. When I started doing the whole video thing, it was hugely expensive just to get yourself on video. Like a camera crew... A freelance cameraman would have a quarter of a million dollars worth of stuff in the back of his van and probably another quarter of a million dollars worth of editing suite back at his office or studio, right? So this was very expensive. We're talking quarter of a million bucks times two 25 years ago. And nowadays, you know, if you've got a phone in your pocket, you've basically got a broadcast studio and a camera and you can be live anywhere. So that's changed a bit. But the, I guess the negative feedback effect is two things. It gives more oxygen to crackpots. And if you are the kind of person who only wants to hear what you want to hear, as opposed to the truth, the facts, whatever, then you can kind of go off and do that. If you want to get a 100 different reports on how we never could have gone to the moon as a species in the 60s and 70s, then have at it, dude. Like knock yourself out so the feedback effect is that 
confirmation biases have been weaponized by the access to content. And this is like a full-blown assault on the epistemology of reality. And that's, that's a really bad thing. But one of the ways you can inoculate yourself against that is to learn to think critically about the information that's being presented to you and decide for yourself which information is credible and worthwhile and which information is not. And don't make that decision based on what you'd like to hear because, frankly, a lot of the truths that are the most worthwhile are the most uncomfortable confronting truths because they concern things that are exactly not what you want to hear but which our society needs urgently to deal with. So there's that. I'd also suggest that journalism is on trial at the moment. It's under threat. Attack is probably a better way to put it because if you're a journalist now, you're being asked to do more and more and more. Like the internet is something you can feed endlessly. It's not like you've just got 64 pages of uh, news in a newspaper to fill every day. It's a bottomless pit. And you're being judged not on newsworthiness, but what's clickable. Okay, and this is why there's a great deal of interest in celebrity cellulite, etc. Stories about Arnie's biceps at 75. That was in the news today is why I brought it up. My missus sent me a link to it. So anyway, not that I'm particularly interested in that, but uh, she found it interesting because Arnie did hit back with a bit of a slap down, you know, looking better at 75 than most men half his age, I'd have to say. So that was kind of interesting. And the other thing I'd suggest is that although it is easy to have a shot at journalism, it's an extremely worthwhile thing for society to have journalism because the kinds of truths that need to be told are the ones that often enough powerful entities hate. And there was a real victory just this week in the Ben Roberts Smith trial. That is like the textbook case of victory for investigative journalism in this country, where I can't imagine what it must have been like to be Chris Masters or Nick, whatever his name is, from Channel 9 and having to endure that prosecution as the defendants they didn't bring that action but ultimately to be vindicated for their excellent work in investigative journalism I think that's awesome and as a society we're better off as a result of that and that's the kind of truth that would never be told without journalism so decide what's credible what's worthwhile but uh, let's not throw all of journalism under the bus because in a sense you're sitting here on your ass on a an otherwise perfectly serviceable Friday evening, consuming it right now. Now, who next? A person (laughs) whose name is Growing Up is Optional, all one word. Who thinks of these names? Mr Optional says, And poor old EVR36C has been used by every car expert to tow all sorts of crap. Someday it will be offered for sale as an ex-company car. Well, Mr or Ms Optional... You raise an excellent point, as did a person with a real name, named Grant who says, Poor bastard who buys this vehicle after its finished press fleet duties won't know that the rear chassis and drivetrain was likely overstressed and the CVT is probably half-rooted, certified, pre-abused. Was there ever a time when journalists were trusted?
What is it with the journalism and trust thing? Christ. But you two dudes raise an excellent point, which is never buy a freaking demonstrator. In fact, that whole report yesterday could have been re-edited and just titled, Never Buy a Demonstrator, Here's Why. Because demonstrators, you go to a freaking dealership, right? The demonstrator is always sold to you as a former company executive's car, you know? Senior executive's car. And sometimes it's a car off the press fleet. So it's been taken to a racetrack and flogged or it's been treated in the manner of the vehicle in the chasing cars test that I reported on yesterday, which we're subsequently talking about today, it's had 2.2 tonnes stuck behind it and it's had, you know, been thrashed uphill and down dale, shetra. And that's probably why, more than anything else, it's just an excellent idea to steer clear of a demonstrator because with a demonstrator, you're paying nearly new car prices for, in many cases, a car that has just been flogged mercilessly and treated like shit for the first three months of its existence. As for was there ever a time when journalists were trusted, I'd uh, take you back in time to Edward R. Murrow or Walter Cronkite in the United States of America. There's an excellent documentary which highlights a problem that exists today in journalism. If you're interested in this stuff, portrayed in a really cool black and white niche movie called Good Night and Good Luck, which is a basic biography type biopic piece on Edward R. Murrow and how telling the truth gets him up against advertisers and do they take sides now and things of this issue, like burning questions for anybody who's interested in journalism and how it actually happens behind the scenes as opposed to just consuming it. So if that's you, good night and good luck, dude. It's awesome. And I can tell you that on this issue of telling the truth, okay, people think it's easy to tell the truth and it's really not. It's fucking hard to tell the truth as a journalist and it's not hard because you don't know what it is and it's not hard because you're in some sort of moral dilemma about shall I lie about this it's hard because of what might happen to you and I can speak with bitter personal experience about this because I was uh, hosting a radio show on a major Sydney network radio networks that's since gone tits up not because I was hosting it but anyway I got to work that day and the previous evening or in the morning previously there was a horror police pursuit in New South Wales then two women died as a consequence of this pursuit they were in the car that was fleeing but to my knowledge they weren't criminals they uh, they crashed they died some number of children like seven children or something were left uh, orphans as a consequence of this terrible collision, I think, if memory serves. Anyway, it was a less than optimal outcome for society, it's fair to say. And I've been very critical of the conduct of police pursuit, especially in New South Wales. And anyway, I went on air and I, I really didn't have too many reins on me, like you should never criticise the cops, that was never part of the brief. So I basically launched into how the blood was on the hands of senior police management because they're in charge of the policy for pursuits, which is fundamentally flawed in my estimation. 
And the blowback, like, fuck me dead, dude. Like, I've never seen a full-blown police commissioner tantrum previously. And the minister had a bit of a tantrum as well. It was epic. And as a consequence of that, I sort of boned the whole radio thing because it left left such a, a bad taste in my mouth. The management of the station went completely to water and I had to um, issue this sort of personally written but completely insincere apology to the minister and the commissioner and two of the commissioner's henchmen. Like, <laughs> really didn't feel like doing that. But anywho, I did that and I lived to fight another day. I was vindicated, however, some years later because the Australian Federal Police commissioned a review of their pursuit policy and... <laughs> completely unbeknown to me, because it's an internal document, right? Completely unbeknown to me, I get this call out of the blue and it's the AFP commissioner's minion saying, hey, we're quoting the work you've done reporting on police pursuits in our internal review. Is that okay? And I went, dude, you don't have to ask because it's all public domain stuff. I, I can't prevent you from doing it and I, I don't need to give you permission, but yeah, have at it if you think it'll help, if it's worthwhile great so they send me a copy and I get my own chapter and as a consequence they change their pursuit policy the better to align the risk to society by virtue of pursuing with the reward to society by virtue of apprehending offenders so they change their protocols and it just made things better and I'm not for a minute saying that I got them to change their protocol that would be bullshit I just contributed a small part to a much larger body of work that was then the subject of internal review by the AFP and they changed their policy and I'm very pleased that they did because society is safer as a consequence. So if you're looking at uh, perhaps why journalism is worthwhile, then I could attest to that. I think that's worthwhile, but it's not as if individual journalists don't pay a bit of a price from time to time when they say things that are true in their minds which other powerful entities do not like because the blowback can be very severe and if you've only got one or two tv stations you can work for or something and you get the ask from one because you've got some powerful entity offside an advertiser for example then there's only one other horse you can ride in the race and if you tell the truth there and get the same thing happens again, like, you're fucked. So I'm a bit of a fan of the democratisation of journalism by virtue of cheap shitty camera just there and sit in your garage and wear a stupid T-shirt and be a better journalist than you ever could have been on radio or television. Like, dude, if you told me that would be possible in 2005, I would have said you were full of shit. But here we are. Chris Z. Or Z, if you're in America. Is fuel factored into payload also? Guessing it would be. 60 litres of petrol, 50 to 60 kilos. Yeah, if memory serves, the mass density of uh, petrol's about 800 grams per litre. Don't quote me. I'd have to do research. It's on the internet, you know. Uh, but here's how this works, okay? If you look at the stats on a particular vehicle and it says tear weight... Tear weight is the vehicle with all the fluids but only 10 litres of petrol. Curb weight typically is all the fluids including a full tank of petrol. 
So if you want to convert a tear weight to a curb weight, if you want to factor in the fuel, you get the fuel tank capacity, knock off 10, get the remaining volume, let's say it's 50 litres, multiply by 0.8, that's about 40 kilos, and add that. And that would factor the fuel in if all you've got is the tear weight of the vehicle and not the curb weight. But if you've got curb weight, there is absolutely no need to factor in the weight of the fuel because tank's already full with curb weight, dude. Suit in a ute now. What a fine name. Mr. Ute says, Who designed this stupid fucking trailer and why is it on the road? It looks designed to encourage incorrect loading. And Mr. Ute was not the only person who made this observation. Nicholas Raftopoulos, who I'm tipping knows his way about a bottle of Uzi and some marinated octopus, said, that trailer doesn't look like it's made for carrying cars, looks like it's meant for excavators. And I'd say, yeah, it probably does look like it's more suited to that. Certainly, the way you'd load an excavator, obviously, is that you'd want the axles way up the arse because if you've got something like a mini backhoe or something of that nature, then you'd drive it up and then the boom would be forward and you'd probably get a bucket and whatever other earth-moving gear there was and mount it up the pointy end as well. So, yeah, it looks more suited to plant to me than as a car trailer, but by the same token, the Venue is quite a compact vehicle and it would fit, and the trailer really doesn't give a shit what's on it as long as it's not overloaded. So I don't think it would be overloaded. I think the Venue would be... Uh, lighter than the excavator that you could possibly max out on that trailer. So there's that. And you could also do a few things, like Chasing Cars could have done another couple of things to uh, really make that towing exercise safer. What they could have done is, A, measured the tow ball download. We'll get to that. I had a few comments on that. They could have reversed the venue up onto that particular trailer so that instead of being 60 at the front and 40 at the back, they could have been 40 at the front and 60 at the back of the trailer on top of the axles, effectively. And then they could have tweaked it further by having scales underneath the tow ball mount and then just nudging the vehicle one way or the other and then chocking it in place and tying it down so that they could get an actual compliant, confirmed tow ball download measurement, right? Uh, there's no evidence that they did any of those things, which is pretty dodgy in my estimation. Certainly not how I would do it. But yeah, backing the venue on, sticking the engine transaxle front wheels essentially over the rear axle group and having the lighter rear end right up the front of that trailer would have been a good start, as would have uh, measuring it. But the trailer doesn't care what the mass is sitting on top of it. You could just put, I don't know, a thousand microwave ovens on top of it or something. And as long as it's not overloaded, good to go. And as long as the load is secure obviously. Shane Maguire now says, Oh, John, looks like budget directors taking down the, tow the towing chasing cars video. Yeah, it did. I think that happened overnight. Somebody took the decision to make that video private for whatever reason. And I am glad about that, but I'm not walking around with a TP in my trousers because 
I wanted to fuck them over. I just think that the practices that are exemplified in that video are potentially quite unsafe and therefore as a public interest issue, I think that video is better off not existing for public consumption, right? Because the advice given at the end of it, insofar as I'm aware, and I have looked at it a thousand different ways, the advice about the amount of payload you can carry in the outback, to my estimation, that was just wrong. And very probably the towball download is excessive and that is a massively important issue as well. But no, I, I don't sit here looking for different ways to fuck people over. It's just that the good stories in the public interest generally are stories that some groups will not be happy with. And those groups that will not be happy with it, I get that. I fully understand it. But if it's in the public interest, that's got to be more important than somebody not liking what you said about their video. And I am overjoyed that they've taken it down, but I didn't seek to make anyone unhappy. Like, I didn't want to fuck somebody over, is what I'm saying. I just don't want somebody to think that it's okay to tow something heavy with an outback like that. Steve Green now says, The trailer A-frame is not a big breaker bar. The tow ball is a hinge and torque cannot magnify through a hinge. If the frame is considered to be a solid extension through the rear axle, this would result in lower downforce, not higher, and would also result in no change to the front wheel load. So, Steve, that's not what I said, dude. And let's not forget that even though I am, at best, a very mediocre mechanical engineer who was so freaking good at it, he became a journalist, that's got to tell you something. I did spend six years at university playing the game of applied physics like a fucking extreme sport. And this is not a particularly complex thing to analyse. So let's think about it just for a second, shall we? Let's just say that we've got a car sitting on its wheels, and this is the arse end, okay? And right at the end of the ruler is a tow ball. What I said was that if you put a load... on the tow ball, then it magnifies the load here because this bit is a lever and clearly this is working like a breaker bar just here, is it not? Is it not just pushing down like that? And this will have two effects, will it not? Because the wheels are actually on springs, so it will compress this spring and this one's going to come up in the air, which is exactly what freaking happens when you put a heavy tow ball on the back of a car. This bit of the arm is a lever. It's a lever that pushes this bit down and lifts this bit up, which is exactly the observed phenomena that you see when you put a trailer that is heavy on the back of every vehicle. This bit here is a lever. It pushes the suspension down at the rear. It lifts the suspension at the front. Archimedes is pretty clear on that. But we, we agree, Steve, that the tow ball here is effectively a hinge in pitch, and it does not transmit any torque this way from the trailer. Okay, this torque is not transmitted 
the purpose of having a ball is just to get download without talk, okay? We agree on that, but I did not misrepresent that in the video. I suggest you go and watch it again, Steve, because I didn't say that at all. Okay, Barry Packman now says, that is appalling. How did the hire company permit that configuration to leave the yard? It's all downhill from there. Another good pickup by you. Well, Barry, two points about that. I'd suggest that the trailer probably left the yard where it was hired from empty. They put the venue on out there on location. So there was no permission to, uh, to be derived from loading the trailer up in any way from the company that lent it to the outlet. That's just absurd. And the other thing is that if you decide to tow something, if you're the driver, then you should not look to any other vector to abrogate responsibility. It's your responsibility. If your hands are on the wheel like that, right? It's your freaking responsibility to ensure that you comply. And you can't go, oh, I had no idea, right? Or afford it to be okay. You can't do that. It's your responsibility to comply. So Weighbridge or scales, whatever, measure the loads, make sure you comply. If it's a really, really heavy load, it's even more important to do that. Now, why a second account? W-H-Y-A, 2-N-D, account, or one word. Who thinks of these names? What the fuck is going on at Subaru letting their brand being associated with this? Or is this the Toyota infiltration cancer spreading? They used to have their act together. No, I don't agree with that. Because here's the, the risk that you run when you're a car company, right? You've got a marketing department. And your marketing department gets many tens of millions of dollars to spend on advertising. And the thing about advertising, which they also call sort of above-the-line marketing, it's clearly denoted as advertising, you buy it as space. So you buy a page of a magazine, and within certain limits, you can put whatever the hell you want on that page. And the same thing with YouTube pre-roll ads and things of that nature. You can pay big bucks to define exactly what you want to say in the space that you pay for. Meanwhile, below the line, you've got less money to spend, probably a few million dollars worth, of, as opposed to tens, you've probably got a few million dollars to spend on PR, right? You can lend a car to an outlet or this outlet or that outlet, radio station, TV show, football club, whatever, and hope that the coverage that flows from that is positive. The role of the dice is that it not always is, is it? Because footballers have this remarkable propensity to behave badly behind the wheel, some of them anyway, and cars get trashed. Sometimes they do that while they're drunk, and that's just a bad look, right? It looks really bad. It reflects badly on the brand. And the problem is that the car company lending the vehicle to a media outlet or some other influencer outlet really doesn't get any control over what is done with that vehicle in practice or how that particular report is executed. And I think laying any of the blame here on Subaru is just misplaced. It's a, it's a misapprehension about how this sort of system actually works.
Daniel Brenu, Brenu, whatever. Now, he says, in the field, how do you measure 220 kilos of downforce? Get two guys weighing 220 kilos to stand on the tow hitch, measure how much the car has dropped, hitch up the trailer and move the load so that it matches the same sag. Easy breezy. If you're good with maths as opposed to spelling and spelling it Y-O-U-R, use ratios to calculate proximate values. Or you could just buy, uh, I don't know, uh, a set of purpose-built trailer towable download scales for like 110 bucks from Super Cheap. Dude, I'd do that. That's pretty cheap insurance when you think about it. Hypothetically, you could put a known load on the tow ball couple hundred kilos you could measure the sag but there's no guarantee that you could extrapolate from there and get it right because the springs might be variable rate and if the springs are variable rate you can't just use like uh, if let's say you do a simple example you put 200 kilos on a tow ball and you get 50 millimeters of deflection that's not the same thing as 300 kilograms equals 75 right because if the rate of the spring changes then all bets are off, and how the fuck would you know? So, if you've spent, I don't know, 60 grand on a vehicle, and you've spent 80 grand on a caravan, so that you can take a dump at the bank of Dingo Piss Creek without stepping outside, or without leaving the stove, then could you not afford 110 bucks from Super Cheap just to make sure that the frickin' tow ball download is on the money? I, I think you probably could. So do that. Next, Cal Sweatman. 13 points out of a possible 10 for the name Sweatman. If John has seen an aircraft take off from an aircraft carrier, then it must have been the HMAS Melbourne can opener extraordinaire before it was scrapped because that was the only one Australia had. I toured the Melbourne at age 11 back in the 1960s and decided that the Navy was not for me. You can stay all the seven seas, dude. Come on. Tipple bunks. I think he means triple bunks. Each 18 inches wide violated my expectations of comfort and privacy. That might not have been the only thing violated had you joined the Navy at that time. Just saying. No, I did not tour the Melbourne. I've never been on an aircraft carrier, but I have seen F-A-18s depart aircraft carriers because I watched Top Gun Maverick, dude. So I'd suggest that you don't have to actually be there to see that happening. Millions upon millions of people by now have seen F-A-18s get off the deck of an aircraft carrier. And hardly any of them actually visited one. Go figure. The magic of Hollywood. I never actually said I was there. I said I'd freaking seen it. Margarita, now, I like Margarita. Margarita is such a regular. She comments on nearly every video. She's got an awesome YouTube channel where she rides high-performance motorcycles with very little clothing on, which is quite uplifting. And she's a bit of a wordsmith, too. Margarita says, Can passenger make a loggy in a caravan? When it's moving? It's an interesting question, Margarita. I've never actually pondered that one before, so thank you for opening my eyes to this uh, hidden dimension of caravan operations, let's call it. I'd suggest that in cupboard crappers, according to my research, they remain fully operational 
in the dump department when moving. Unfortunately, however, taking a dump in motion on a public road in this way is still against the law. So I guess we're just waiting for the legislation to catch up. S. Carter, Scarter, says, OK, here's an idea. How about we decide a way of joining together a series of gyroscopic rotating masses that counteract gravity so that downforce is a non-issue? I suspect inertial mass would still be an issue, big thinker. Imagine a caravan without wheels connected to the Subaru. Very back to the future. Scarter? Mr. Fusion, here we fucking come. You're starting to sound like Elon Musk, dude. Come on. Inertial mass is certainly going to be an issue if you can get the bugs out of your rotating gyroscope thingo, okay? Like, people don't get this, but they should. There's a difference between mass and weight. There really is. The best way that I can explain it to you is that if you decide to go bungee jumping one day and you're on the bridge, you're on that platform, you're bound by the heels to the big elastic band. Let's say you weigh 100 kilos. Your, stand, your mass is 100 kilos. And when you're standing there on the platform, you weigh 100 kilos because gravity, right? You're in a 1G frame of reference Newton's third law, you're standing there on the platform, platform's pushing back. Action and reaction are equal and opposite. It's the reaction that gives you your weight, essentially, right? Your mass never changes. Still 100 kilos. Well, you know, you could go on a diet. You could, you know, eat more broccoli or something, walk around the block a bit more often. But that's basically how it is. When you step off, the reason it's so disorienting is that you become weightless. It's like when you see the astronauts go into astronaut training in that 747 or whatever it is that they've designed to dive at 1G. That's like, uh, that's like bungee jumping without the bungee and without any air resistance around you. You float and you get weightless. You are literally, your weight is zero, but your mass does not change. And if you're on the International Space Station, you're weightless and if there's, I don't know, this fixture square sitting here, it would be made of titanium, whatever, up there. But it's sitting there on the shelf. It's weightless, okay? It might weigh one kilo. You might get in a dispute. I hope you don't, but you might get in a dispute with another astronaut. And you might throw it at them, right? It's still going to hurt them because it's, it's weightless. But its mass hasn't changed. So mass is something that gives things... Inertia. And inertia is this property that basically means if you you, know, you kick a brick, it's going to hurt your foot because it's got inertia. That's just how this works. So weightlessness, you could counteract gravity and that would eliminate the need for wheels. You could counteract gravity. Good luck with that. But let's say you're a full-on Elon Musk genius and you counteract gravity and all of a sudden all the wheel and tyre and axle manufacturers for caravanners are just out of business as a result of your innovation, then we're still going to have a few problems because the caravan still has inertia. Its mass hasn't changed, right? It's just you've, you've fucked gravity off by some 
you know, gyroscopic magic. That's going to be a problem. And let's not forget, of course, that the wheels on the caravan do uh, provide a degree of restraint. They kind of help the caravan follow the vehicle as it's being towed. So if you took the wheels off and just had it on a little floaty magnetic levitation pad or gyroscopic magic thing, then how are you going to stop at pirouetting when you drive around a hairpin or something? That's going to be difficult, I'd suggest. So that'd have to be worked out. You'd have to tweak your gyros just a little bit there. So, yeah, that's kind of clever. That's almost as good, in my view, as the dude who suggested sticking a big, like, turbine out the window of the caravan and thereby never needing to charge the batteries up again because free energy... Fair dinkum, dude. If you'd, nev if you'd never studied physics or chemistry or science generally, anything, and I mean anything, is possible. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend.